Welcome to the Iowa Agronomy Update, where we talk all things agronomics. I'm your host, Brent Schwinnaker, and this podcast is brought to you by Asgro DeKalb Brand Seeds. Hey everyone, and welcome to a new edition of the Iowa Agronomy Update. Uh, we are on our last stretch here of our harvest uh, summary podcast series, and we are uh, finally to the northeast corner of our uh, state. We've got uh, a friend of the podcast, Nicole Steckline. Hey, good afternoon, Nicole. And we've got a new addition to the podcast, first time joining us, Rich Judd. Rich, how are you today? Just wonderful. Good. Hey, I'm glad you guys could, could join us. I know uh, you guys have been busy. We started this uh, mini-series here on the podcast. Uh, it's been probably about uh, probably a month ago in, in your southeast corner uh, with Scott and George, and you guys have had a lot more time to, to digest some of this. You know, Scott and George, they they were right in the middle of, of a lot of what was going on. You guys have had a little bit more time, uh, a lot more data uh, to come in and, and at least see some, some more of these trends. I know uh, you guys have been busy all week uh, with post-harvest meetings and, and wrapping those up here uh, probably after – uh, the holidays, I think, Nicole, you're actually on your way back from one as we speak. So um, let's just start there. You know, Nicole, what, um, you know, what's your what's your post-harvest uh, little uh, intro or summary that you want to kind of lead off with for the for the group today? Uh, just sort of like a summary yeah, of what sure. happened the year. And I, I mean, that's something that I'm, I'm ready to be done with 2018, tired of it. It lasted way too long. Um, but I think for the most part, to move forward and plan for 2019, we have to take a look back. So um, just looking from the very beginning of the season, you know, especially up in my North Territory, up in the Decorah area, they got hammered with snow, you know, that second week of April, which really put them far behind which is kind of, you know, was seemed like it was an indicator, an omen of how the rest of the season was going to go. But as soon as we did get the planters rolling, we got our field work done, um, just to get out of the, the crop out of the ground, um, to get the crop in the ground was a big, big uh, issue. But as the crop started getting out of the ground, I would say that my number one phone call or my number one issue with uh, – getting stand establishment was probably residue management, um, particularly out of that first planting window. If you guys, if we can remember back that far, the ground worked up really mellow and really nice, particularly in that last week of April, first week of May. Um, And even if we didn't have a whole lot of residue, I think that that ground was just so mellow that those trash whips didn't have a whole lot to, you know, push up against to get the residue out of the furrow and it ended up pinning a lot right there in the seed furrow so as far as getting the crop out of the ground that was probably my number one concern um we did have some nitrogen burning issues that was honestly my second most popular call um not something that you think about in a wet year particularly um you know you think about 
how we need that moisture to help balance out that huge pH swing that we have in that zone of application of that anhydrous. Um, and we had plenty of moisture for that. I think that we were just chasing the toolbars too fast with the anhydrous bars. Um, and not only that, but up to here in the hills where they were so much further behind and they had a lot more pressure to get that seed in the ground right away, um, we got a lot more contours and end rows, which means that you got more places where you're picking the toolbar up, setting it back down, and essentially getting that zone of application, that zone of pH swing, um, a lot closer to, to where the seed is sitting. So probably my two biggest issues this year. Um, otherwise, we finally got that crop going out of the ground. We came into June, and um, we accumulated GDUs extremely fast through June. I mean, we, we caught up in May and June and made up for a really cold April. Um, and while that made us feel really good and it made the crop look really good, it, it did create a couple of problems for us. Um, I think that the first one would be, especially for people that were only going to make a single application, um, especially of just anhydrous, where year in and year out we're used to seeing those anhydrous knife marks and then they, they tend to go away as soon as our nodal root system um, gets further developed. But this year with that rapid accumulation of GDUs paired with our um, wet and saturated soils where those roots didn't really need to grow to anything, um, so we had an underdeveloped root system, and then the top part of that plant developed and basically outgrew the capacity of that root system because it didn't have to grow as fast. So that gave us kind of a little bit of nitrogen stress earlier on in the season. Um, year in, year out, would we see that? Probably not. Um, but, but it was something that, um, that made those nitrogen streaks probably stick around for longer than what we're used to. And then also with that quick accumulation of GDUs, um, so when you think about that stock development, you know, it grew so fast and it was wanting to put out leaves so fast that it put the stock at a little bit of a disadvantage where we had stalks with a smaller circumference, but on top of that, we were gaining more stock cells quickly and it was slowing down and inhibiting its ability to put cellulose and lignin inside of those rind cells. And the cellulose and lignin is what gives that stock strength. So when you look later on into the season and we get stock rots, which are taking care of the pith, the inside of there, then we've got to count on that rind to keep that plant standing through harvest. And there just flat out wasn't as much cellulose and lignin for strength for late season standability. So, um, that really, I think, ended up playing out and um, spelling disaster later on in the season. Um, another thing that was really interesting for this year, you know, you think about rain makes grain, and it's great. But uh, rain is also really good for fungal pathogens, you know, um, as well as insects. And those two things together really, um, really took a bite out of our grain quality. So... Um, on top of, you know, we had armyworms and stink bugs and earworms, and um, I, I actually had a field of soybeans that I had to go look at this spring that was being fed on by snails. So if that gives you any <laughs> indication of how wet we were, um, it's a crustacean. Yeah. So, um, not something that you'd think to find in a soybean field, um, but, you know, it just... We had a lot of insect pressure 
Um, and a lot of earworms, particularly like in my Alamakee, Clayton, Winnesheet County areas. Um, and when you think about these ear-feeding insects, now we have the traits to protect against that, but they still have to take a bite to die. Um, so with this heavy pressure, we did open up a lot of kernels. And once you damage that kernel, those fungal pathogens, which also like all this water, are just going to proliferate. And, you know, we had about a month and a half of rain, and it just made those ear rots become even worse. So uh, we had spongy stalks. It was hard to get the grain off of it. You know, it's just, I, I think that uh, we're all still feeling the effects of the, the rain in September. So I don't need to uh, belabor the point too much. Um, but it, it was a tough year. Um, and I think it's, it's interesting to look at how far off normal 2018 was. So when we think about years and how extreme it is, everybody wants to think of 2012 because of the drought. And when I look at maps that show deviation from um, normal precipitation, if I look at July through September in both 2012 and relate that back to 2018, the worst hit areas in 2012 were 10 inches below average precipitation for that time frame. When I look at the same time frame for this year, we were 13 to 15 inches above normal. So 2018 was actually more extreme than 2012, but what's kind of nice to think about is that we had a more extreme year than 2012, but in most of my areas, we're actually having better yields than what we did in 2012. So I guess kind of a silver lining. I don't know if it makes anybody feel better, um, yeah. but uh, yeah. tough year. Glad it's over, but you know, we, we made it through. Time to look at 2019. Yeah, goodness, uh, Nicole, you, you threw everything at us except for a partridge and a pear tree. <laughs> we saw, besides for drought conditions, which, you know, I yeah. let Scott and George uh, cover that down yeah. southeast Iowa, you know, we we saw a lot. And, um, you know, if, if you want that partridge and a pear tree, I'll throw it at you now because, you know, that, that was corn rootworm this year. And, um I think that looking at the past couple of years of data, we knew that our populations were increasing, and um, and this year it certainly showed that. So, you know, last couple of years we were able to see a trend of increasing corn rootworm numbers, um, and there was more rootworm damage out there, uh, especially as the combine started to roll, than I think many people were anticipating. So, we're you know we're going to continue to monitor those fields. And we're going to put together a comprehensive um, and integrated plan going into 2019 to help them manage those, sure. those fields. Rich, hey, let's transition over uh, to you. I, I'm guessing a, a lot of the same things that Nicole just touched on, but um, I, I'm guessing a, a basically a wide diversity. And, and maybe explain a little bit of where your territory is for the group. And, Maybe just explain something there versus be there from north to south. Well, yeah, and a little different, uh, you know, scenario because I'm I'm working out of the Clear Lake uh, uh, area, so I kind of cover the western half of northeast Iowa, and uh, we had quite a range from uh, north to south. Um, actually, our our northern chunk in total didn't get quite as much rain as the extreme northeast Iowa. One problem we have is that geography for us, um, 
is fairly flat, a lot of tiles used or drainage ditches to try to get rid of that water. And uh, those guys in that geography just really can't um, tolerate a, a huge amount of water. So uh, to my northern part, the top couple rows of counties, we actually, I think we planted corn for a window that was about 35 days. And mm. so we stretched that out um, huge. There was uh, uh, part of my geography of the south that was probably wrapping up around mid-May. And uh, a group, uh, boy, within a 45 minute drive north of them that uh, hadn't taken anything but their and I, I think one of them guys got that stuck. So um, pretty pretty interesting year from the, the weather standpoint, but you know, like any year you try to learn what you can. Right. And uh, you know, when our post-harvest thoughts over here is uh, uh, ourselves, our dealers, our customers, we've, we've really got a uh, 2019 and expect it to be more normal than this. And so, you know, even though we learned a lot about which products can or can't swim, um, there's still some acres I expect to be more on the dry side. Some I expect to uh, have relatively decent drainage and then a small number of, of acres that are notoriously wet year in, year out. Um, this year for us, those really wet acres probably didn't have a stitch of plant life in them. So, um, we just kind of need to take a deep breath, learn what we can, and, and move forward, particularly on the product side of things. Yeah. Rich, I love your comment about, um, you know, the, the different types of acres and the ones that you expect to be a little bit drier, because I, you know, everybody's got that drier field or, you know, their sand patch. That was the best field they had this year. Um, we got to make sure to manage it for normal conditions instead of a 2018 next year. Well, and that's that's one of the scary things because I I'd had comments on, uh, you know, one of them sandy, uh, uh, poor water holding type of acres that turned out to be their best uh, crop this year, but if they look historically, um, they may have still been 30 bushel below. So. Um, we weren't operating at the same yield level, um, and even even the the best thing for a farm in that geography or, or an operation may not have been uh, all that high in reality. And and sometimes some products like uh, you know a fifty eighty four where we intentionally put in those situations may look like it came to the top of the pack, but it's kind of running at the yield level we we think those tougher products uh, operate at. And I think some of the uh, top end yield type of products just didn't get the environment and the acres we were parking them because, you know, too heavy, too wet, uh, not much we could do about it. So tell, tell me, you guys, what's, you know, a lot of what you guys do this time of year is, is trying to sift through all this information that, you know, every, every curveball that you guys have just you know, a lot of us, myself included, tend to make next year's decisions off of what we learned this year. So what, you know, how, what's your recommendation or advice on, you know, not letting the pendulum swing, you know, to the complete far, far other end to make sure that we don't overcompensate for anything that we, 
thought we learned this year that was just an anomaly? Yeah. I would be looking, I'd be looking at those extreme situations um, and just going from there where, you know, if you were to look at a, how a product performed on a sandy acre in 2018, um, it's probably, you, you don't know if that product's going to do well on that one this year. So what we learned, like what Rich said, is what products have gilled, basically. Wait, which, yeah, uh, go ahead, Rich. Oh, I was just thinking, you know, we, we picked up just... Uh, uh, with the heavy rainfall and a lot of uh, uh, difficulty getting nitrogen up into our plants, whether it, it volatilized or if it was just our root system. Um, but we, we learned a few things about, uh, you know, side dress timing and which hybrids um, will will get a little more ticked off in certain scenarios. And then, uh, you know, some cases I think we were, we were so wet uh, at times that the, the root really couldn't function at all. And that, that it's almost like a drought stress. There were five, seven day pockets when a, a plant really wasn't functioning at all. It's sitting ankle deep in water. And, uh, you know, it, it gives you a sense of how rugged some of these plants are. So, you know, on the early side, I actually think uh, uh, the DKC 5008 could probably uh, you know, a normal acres, no problem, but it could probably creep towards a, a drier, more stressed environment than I originally thought. It, it uh, uh, generally could still set an ear and had the right pieces parts when you went through that scenario. Some other ones really showed, uh, you know, 5138s one sticks in my head. If, if you got up the hillways and gave it an opportunity to function more normally, uh, it was able to capitalize on the extra heat this year and really make some decent yield on the early side. So, um, you know, we learned how to separate things a little bit, but I don't know if, if this year really gives you the detail you need to pick one thing over another. So, yeah. Any comments? You mentioned a couple of early products there, Rich. Any comments on any, anything later in the lineup that, that we can learn from? Yeah, it uh, gets a little interesting later because, you know, I, I talked about how wide of a uh, planting window we had. But then if you remember how, how uh, Nicole said we, we accumulated so much heat, um, we actually saw yields quite a bit stronger in that uh, uh, fuller season end uh, for a couple of reasons. One, because when you're having trouble planting, you, you're... You know, first opportunity you get to go to the field, you're probably going to grab your fullest season product, get her in the ground, because the weather guy says you only got a three-day window to do it. And so that stuff maybe had a little head start, but uh, it actually made it to black layer quicker than uh, it should have because we were head on GDUs. So some of them fuller season products, uh, 5806 had a, a tremendous year this year. Um, it's one of those that would rather be too wet than too dry. Um, so it stuck out very strong, but then you'd get something like uh, a new 5080, uh, 5834, 35, the, is a double pro. Um, a product like that with just extreme plant health could operate at that yield level and uh, stay almost completely intact till that, the end of harvest. And with the rain we poured on it uh, after it was uh, mature and all the wind, that's kind of remarkable. So. Uh, you know, that fuller end uh, really looks to be strong. And uh, 
we even had some success with products as late as maybe a 6434 getting pulled a little bit farther north in the state. Um, had to plant health to hang on till the, the last third of harvest and, and people could utilize its uh, sustainability and, and so forth to not only capture a little bit more yield, but uh, to make sure they uh, uh, had time to get through all their acres of harvest. So yeah, pretty good deal there. And Richard, I you, you said the word plant health about three times through there, which I think is key when we're picking out how this year went, what management practices paid, um, and, and maybe a little bit of an explanation for some product performance. You know, as far as fungicide applications working, um, they paid in a lot of cases, and, you know, even on some hybrids where we don't necessarily expect them to pay. Um, DKC 5797 is a really good example of that where we only expect to see a moderate app, uh, response to fungicide and it responded well this year because it is a very healthy plant um and you mentioned you know the, the intactness of 6434 and 5834 where those are disease shield hybrids and i think that the wetter we were and we had a pretty heavy uh great leaf spot year this year um, also looking at uh, the, one of the new 105-day products, the uh, 5553, which is another disease shield. Um, like you said, those things just, they hung on to life uh, where some other products couldn't because they're plant health, and, um, and it really helped them to finish out yield. Yeah, you, so you guys you guys mentioned a lot about plant health and, and you mentioned 5834 uh, 58, family a couple different times, and I... I got to admit, I, uh, that thing certainly, uh, from the combine cab here at the Huxley site, certainly uh, looked very impressive from the plant health uh, perspective here as well. It's something that I was impressed with uh, as well. Let's, let's switch, let's switch oh, no. gears a little bit and, and probably better talk about some beans. Uh, a number of, of new uh, X9 series uh, class of new extended uh, system beans here. What did we uh, What did we see out of there? A lot of a lot of options up in your guys' part of the world for uh, whether it's disease characteristics or yield or whatever you're looking for. There's a lot of new options there uh, to look at. What did we What did we pick out of that class up there this year? Well, I, I like uh, my little one sentence comment on uh, what this new portfolio of products allows us to do, uh, particularly in uh, Northern Iowa, is I, I feel like now we've got the tools uh, where we, we can uh, give some people improvements on both white mold and standability in situations where they need that. However, uh, we have not taken a step back on uh, tolerance to SDS in the lineup, and we we even have a larger number of products that, that handle the uh, higher pH situations over in the Des Moines Lobe. So, um, as far as the lineup, that that X9 class did us a, a tremendous amount of help to uh, kind of bolster um, what we need, particularly on the white mold thing, because. Uh, we didn't see a whole bunch of white mold broadly. Saw some in, in small pockets, but if you remember back to uh, 2017, there was many fields that were uh, having an issue with that. 
and in 2019, that same field's going to get planted to soybeans again. So we can't, uh, just because it didn't happen this year, take that off our radar. So, you know, I think products like uh, uh, 20X9 or 22X9 to the north are going to be uh, very key on the white mold side of things. A um, little farther south, maybe a 24X9 if you're to the east outside the Des Moines lobe or a 25X9 uh, in the Des Moines lobe uh, can really help folks in those situations. And uh, interestingly enough, all the ones that uh, actually fit over in the Des Moines lobe uh, for that also have pretty decent sudden death. So um, pretty exciting uh, moving forward this next spring. I, but I think it's going to be a check the box thing. You got to, before you start beating your head against the wall on yield data, you got to ask yourself, what are the things I need? Is it, do I need white mold? Do I need SDS? Do I need IDC? Yes or no. And make sure your beans got that because, uh, you know, something's just a bushel and a half better in a plot and you're uh, at risk to lose 12 bushel off a particular disease. Um, you, can, you can get rid of that slight yield advantage real quick by not uh, thinking through what's necessary in, in your own field. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right there, uh, Rich. So, um, I, I agree 100% with you, Rich. Um, we got a little bit easier here on the eastern side where we don't have to worry about the IDC, but when I look at soybeans, I need uh, white mold, sudden death, standability, and yield. And I really feel like we got, you know, a good lineup of products, especially out of those X9s, which where we can tick all the boxes. So I'm I'm really looking forward to, uh, to our soybean performance and And I think, I think as, uh, you know, when I creep out to my eastern edge more towards Nicole, standability becomes more and more important. Um, and then on my western edge, uh, for whatever reason, when you get in those very heavy, poorly drained soils, plants just don't get that tall. And it's really hard to tell the difference in standability scores from one product to the next. So um, sometimes some of those needs just interchange as you... Uh, creep across the geography and you you just gotta gotta keep your eyes open and, and remember what's yeah. important. It, and it's always it's always amazing. We kind of touched on it last uh, week with uh, uh, Jim and Brad in northwest Iowa, but just the just the micro regions that you guys deal with, you know, on on a yearly basis with you know and then you, you then you put that into perspective with mother nature and then how she uh kind of dissected its own regions this year with planting dates and different windows and, and different yield environments it, it all it all takes a, a certain um i don't know perspective to kind of put all these region micro regions together i guess i should say so um so it sounds like uh we we got some uh, a lot of good learnings there in corn and, and uh, a lot of excitement around some of the early, early X9 products. Uh, Nicole, I, I don't think we can let it go without uh, talking about, but I think you're, you're one of the key ones here that, that kind of saw uh, a little bit of, of tar spot up in, in your territory. Not, not all of us have gotten that opportunity. Explain what you saw there and, and what that looks like leading into 2019. 
Yeah, so fortunately for you guys, you get to learn <laughs> from some of the disasters that I got to deal with this year. Yeah. So um, if anybody's not real familiar with uh, this, this tar spot complex, um, so it is, it's a tar spot complex, so it's not just one fungal pathogen. Um, was first identified in the United States in Indiana in 2015, um, thought to have blown up from Mexico and Central America with some uh, hurricane systems. Um, so first identified in the United States in 2015, uh, identified it in Jones County, Iowa in, 20, um, yeah, in 2016. We didn't see much of it in 2017, and boy, did it show up with a vengeance back up in the same area. Um, this last year, probably because of the copious amounts of moisture that we had. So it's, it's heaviest in kind of northeast Iowa, um, northern Illinois, and then southwest uh, Wisconsin. The last couple of years, we haven't really been able to show any correlation of presence of tar spot and yield loss, but all of that changed in 2008. Um, I think it's probably mostly because of the environment that we have. We're more closely mimicked what we would see in some of our tropical growing regions like Central America and Mexico. Um, and then I think what could also have been leading to the advent of yield loss would be how we saw great leaf spot and other fungal pathogens develop this year. So. Down in Central America and Mexico, it's the uh, it's the presence of Phylacoramatus and Monographelamatus, and those two together is what will cause yield loss. Only having Phylacoramatus doesn't correspond very heavily um, with yield loss. When we look up in the United States, we have yet to find that second pathogen, the Monographella. We've only identified Phylacora. So we're seeing yield loss with only Phylacora. So the theory is developing that the Phylacora matus does not necessarily need to be in a complex with the monographella. Oh, I think we just I think we just lost Nicole there. So she's she's been traveling through some uh, some of the hills there, uh, getting uh, back from her. I think Nicole, you're back. <laughs> yeah, we we're just just telling the audience you're you're traveling through some some territory there. They kind kind of cutting in and out, so no no big deal. No, and now she's back again. Yes, surprise. Okay, so. <laughs> Um, it's, it's looking like it can develop that complex and yield loss with other fungal pathogens that we have present here in the United States. Um, so the fact that we were wetter um, and the fact that we did have very high incidences of other fungal pathogens such as gray leaf spot um, is probably what led to yield loss this year. The other thing that I noticed would be that it could be there in that field and you would see those black specks um, and it wouldn't really be killing the plant. But then as soon as we got to about half milk line, it just, that plant, 
that plant died very quickly, um, and then it wasn't able to reach a natural black layer. Um, and then I think that that's where we lost a lot of the yield. Um, once we have early plant death, then we will also have stock rots coming in sooner, and then we were seeing plants fall over as well. Um, anecdotally speaking, it looked like fungicide worked. Um, was it because fungicide was working on the tar spot itself? I don't know, um, but certainly helping to ward off um, any secondary pathogens was definitely helping. So we don't really have any ratings for our products. We weren't really able to extrapolate any differences between germplasms and different hybrids. Um, basically, there's a lot that we need to learn. And this, uh, this Phylacora is behaving a bit differently up here um, than it would down south. Uh, for example, in Mexico and Central America, it's said to have a latent period of three weeks, which is something that we think about with something like gray leaf spot. Um, up here in the United States, uh, this year, it appeared to have a latent period of as short as two weeks, something closer to northern corn leaf blight. So um, in this year's environment in the United States, it actually reproduced much quicker than what they're used to seeing um, down in Central America and Mexico. So there's a lot to learn. Uh, keep your eyes out for it. Um, we do expect it to continue um, moving and expanding its geography. Well, Nicole, I, I, you sure learned a lot uh, here this year about it. And sure appreciate the update on that. It sounds like we've we've probably got some more to learn and, and, and um, hopefully get uh, probably have you back on again. And, and as we as we hopefully don't have another huge episode like this again, but certainly we'll, we'll continue to learn and, and get another update as we go. So, well, we're we're at uh, probably right around 34, 35 minutes, guys. So we've, uh, we've put a wrap on this 28 here finally. And, and as much as, as much as we'd like to see it over with, we, we sure like to say uh, thanks to our, our growers and customers, uh, dealers uh, for their efforts this season, uh, certainly challenging from, from day one till, till the last day. And, and that takes a toll on, on a number of folks and, and certainly appreciate all they've done throughout the year um, with our with our business so um, rich glad to have you on we'll definitely uh, have you back on again nicole thanks for joining us again and, and uh, we'll be we'll be back here in december and, and we'll be uh, looking at uh, uh, at some new opportunity here for some podcast topics so if you got any ideas be sure to send us a send us a message on on social media and, and we'll be uh interested in, in uh, integrating those ideas into the next this winter's uh podcast topic so nicole rich thank you very much travel safe and and uh and we'll uh, hear from you again thank you all right be good thank you.